As no doubt many of you would have seen over the past few months, there have been protests in America uh, and in Australia and across the world in response to the death of the African-American man, George Floyd, uh, who was killed by a police officer in the US. Because of that, the issue of race and racism has been catapulted into our consciousness despite the preoccupation uh, of the world with COVID-19. A number of people have asked me to address that situation and to try to show how as Christians we can think about what's going on. Although much of what I will say applies uh, to indirectly to the situation in America, I've chosen really to focus uh, my attention and our attention on the issues that affect Indigenous people in Australia. That's because the issues in Australia are issues that we can more directly respond to. We can actually do something about what's going on uh, here, whereas we can't really do anything much uh, about what's going on in America. It needs to be said, obviously, that this is a highly charged issue. It's an issue that is often framed by politics. But for us as Christians, it ought to be an issue that is chiefly framed by the Bible. Of course, the Bible doesn't speak directly into many of the questions that are swirling around in this debate. It doesn't address some of the most contentious issues. It doesn't address the the place of historical statues. Uh, it doesn't address the best date for a national public holiday. It doesn't address how or whether Indigenous people should be recognised in the Constitution or whether they should have a voice to Parliament. It doesn't tell us the best way to address Indigenous land claims or the best way to remedy Indigenous disadvantage. But the Bible does give us commands and it does give us godly wisdom that ought to shape the way that we respond to this issue. I want to begin in this sermon by drawing five principles from the letter of James, chapter 1, verse, 29, uh, verse 19 to verse 27. So if you haven't read that yet, please stop the video now and read that. Uh, and then we'll continue on. The five principles in the passage uh, that we are looking at today say nothing really directly about any of the issues that we're thinking about. But the five principles there do provide the necessary preparation for us to engage in this issue and in many other issues as well. So we'll look at those five issues and then we'll do some listening and then I'll also reflect a little bit more on the issues themselves. The place to begin, it seems, is with listening, James says. He writes in the passage that we read, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If any relationship is in trouble, we know that the place to begin is with listening. 
If one partner in a marriage feels hurt and aggrieved by certain things, then the place to begin is with listening to why they feel that way. The place for us to begin is not with our reaffirmation that there isn't an issue. The place to begin is with listening. Now, to listen doesn't mean believing everything that somebody says. To listen doesn't mean that everything they say is right. Nor does just listening mean, though, that we give them a chance to speak before we say what we think. To listen means not just hearing, but genuinely considering the possibility that what they're saying is right. They might not be right, but we need to seriously consider the possibility that they are. If Indigenous people in our country feel aggrieved, then the first responsibility that we have as Christians is to listen and to listen carefully to what they're saying. As we think about this issue, the question that James 1 forces us to ask ourselves is this, when have I sat and listened? When have I listened to an Indigenous person talk about their experience of growing up in Australia? When have I read a book that they have written about the challenges that they've faced? When have I looked uh, beyond the, the scenes of angry protests on the news or of a tent embassy on the lawns of Old Parliament House? When have I looked beyond that and actually tried to listen to those who are making thoughtful arguments on behalf, behalf of Indigenous people? Listening carefully doesn't mean listening to a 20-second grab on the news or reading a 150-character tweet. Uh, it, it, it means actually listening to what somebody says. That, uh, in no sense, uh, can be achieved by just reading a few lines in a newspaper or reading a few lines of a tweet. And when I examine my own life, uh, with respect to that question, I think the shameful but honest truth is that until recently, I've not made much of an effort at all to listen to the complaints of Indigenous people. I've merely listened to the things that are reported for a few seconds in the media. But without listening, how can we speak with any insight into these issues? Consider this, for example, uh, in 2015, the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and the opposition leader Bill Shorten appointed a referendum council to lead a process of national consultations and community engagement about the constitutional recognition of Indigenous people. That resulted in a national convention of Indigenous people in 2017, and it resulted in something called the Uluru From the Heart Statement. So in that document, in that From the Heart Statement, leaders of the Indigenous communities from around Australia summed up their hurt and their hopes. But the question I think that is worth asking ourselves is, 
have we ever read that? I certainly hadn't. I'd seen it reported on in the news, but I'd never actually sat down and read what had been written. And the question is, is that really listening? Uh, If you want to go and read that statement, you can do that at ulurustatement.org.au. It's not even really that long. It's about 400 words, which is less than one A4 page. You could read it in a few minutes. Now, you might not agree with some or all of what they propose, but it could hardly be described, that document could hardly be described as an inflammatory or inherently unreasonable uh, statement. But what a tragic state of affairs it is that the Indigenous people of our country who feel hurt, who feel aggrieved, have put together a short document expressing their hopes, and we can't even be bothered to read what that document says. And even without reading that document, we still feel entitled to express our strong opinions on their situation. That is not, in any sense, a willingness to listen. One of the other things that I've done in the last few weeks uh, is to read the official two-page summary of the Referendum Council's report. I want to read some of that to you because I think it's a surprisingly reasonable document in many ways. It says this, This is the first part of the story of Australia, which tells of the epic discovery of our country by our our most ancient tribes who crossed the northern land bridge from Papua New Guinea and Southeast Asia, establishing in this country one of the planet's earliest civilizations. The second part of the Australian story is recognised by 26th of January the arrival of the first fleet and the establishment of the first colony in New South Wales. From the perspective of those who laid claim to the eastern seaboard of Australia under the sovereignty of the British Crown, this was a settlement. From the perspective of the First Nations, this was an invasion. Their land and sovereignty was annexed without consent and without treating with the country's rightful owners. The words settlement and invasion are highly charged for both sides of this historic encounter. But there's no use denying these two perspectives. It is understandable why some Australians speak of settlement and why some speak of invasion. The maturation of Australia will be marked by our ability to understand both perspectives. There is no doubt the second story of Australia is replete with triumph and failure, pride and regret, celebration and sorrow, greatness and shame, like human history the world over. There is no doubt our constitutional system, our system of government, the rule of law and our public institutions inherited from Britain are the heritage of the Australian people and ensure for the benefit of all of us, including the First Peoples. The third part of our Australian story is written by generations of migrants from Europe, Asia, the Middle East, the Pacific and the world over who have come to make their home in this continent. They have made Australia a multicultural triumph of diversity in unity. 
we now have the opportunity to bring together these three parts of the story of Australia through two measures, one involving constitutional amendment and the other involving an extra-constitutional symbolic statement. Again, that's, you'd have to say that's a pretty reasonable statement. You might not agree with all of it, I don't know, but they've made a very good effort to draw the disparate histories and parts of Australia together. In other words, the thing that we need most of all in dealing with the issues raised by Indigenous people in our country, the thing that we need most of all is to listen and to listen carefully. But we not only need to listen, James says, we need to be careful about what we say. James says we should be slow to speak. He says later in verse 26 that those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Later on in chapter 3, James describes the tongue as like the rudder of a ship, a very small thing can affect the direction of the whole ship. Uh, so also he says the tongue is like a tiny spark that can set off an enormous bushfire. We live in a world though that, unlike what James says, a world which encourages us not to speak slowly but to speak quickly. It encourages us to share our unfiltered, half-formed thoughts. I think that social media and even the traditional media promote speaking over listening. Social media encourages everyone to express their view on everything. People can't read an article and go away and think about it. They have to respond straight away. They have to leave their comments. They have to leave their thoughts. And that culture of speaking is destroying us. It's destroying our society. And Christians often are as much to blame as anyone else. The Australian musician Tim Minchin is not someone who normally expresses views that I hold, but he recently wrote this. He said, If someone writes an article you disagree with, here is an option that a lot of you seem to have forgotten. Read it, then have some thoughts about it, then have your thoughts, some thoughts about your thoughts, Critically assess your intuitive reaction. Then see if there's any elements of the piece that you might agree with. See if it might adjust your view just a tiny bit. Give to the writer all the credit and generosity of interpretation you would give a friend. Apply to yourself all the criticism you'd intuitively direct at an enemy. Then wait a day. Perhaps read the article again. Then think, maybe I'll have a tea. Then go and make a tea. Then drink your tea. Not all your thoughts have to be shared, and not all your thoughts have to be shared straight away. In fact, it's almost certainly better if they're not shared straight away, and maybe if they're not shared at all. And if you can't resist doing that, if you can't resist unleashing your ideas on the world, then get off social media, get off the internet. It's better to be slow to speak and not say anything at all than it is to be quick to speak and to set off an enormous bushfire with simple words. We need to listen much more 
then we speak. James says, we also need to be slow to become angry. Anger doesn't lead typically to helpful words. Anger frequently leads to unhelpful words. The kind of anger that James is thinking of is human anger, as he says in verse 20. It's anger that arises from our sinful desires. James says in chapter 4, verse 1, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Talking about Indigenous issues, uh, where non-Indigenous Australians often stirs up anger and frustration. Uh, when Indigenous people make statements about their prior ownership of the land, for example, it often threatens us uh, because it has implications for us, for those of us who are not Indigenous. To say that the land was stolen from Indigenous people by white settlers is to question the legitimacy of our present wealth and our present ownership of the land. It raises questions about the distribution of our taxes in the present day. Should Indigenous people get more than we do? Should they get special support? It's not hard to see, in other words, why those issues would uh, would cause a war with our, sin with our sinful desires, uh, why they would cause anger. Because we have, the reason is because we have something at stake in those debates, in those comments, in those words. And so we have to be sure that when we listen, we are slow to become angry out of those sinful desires that live within us, that want to hold on to the things that we have as much as possible and are unwilling to relinquish those things that we have and to share them with anyone else. That said, uh, although James says that uh, we should be slow to become angry, it's important also to say that there is in the Bible a kind of righteous anger, an anger that arises not from our sinful human desires, but from our sense of injustice against God and his creatures. When James says that we should be slow to be, become angry and not speak out of anger, when, when James is saying that, he's not talking about uh, what the Bible in, in other places uh, kind of describes as a, as a righteous anger. When Black Lives Matter pro, matters protests erupted in America and Australia, uh, I was angry. I was angry that people were destroying in America, were destroying shops and cars and homes and, and looting and setting things on fire. I was angry because people were ignoring important health advice and putting the vulnerable at risk. More injustice is never, ever the solution to past injustice. God hates uh, present injustice every bit as much as he hates past injustice. Nevertheless, Right and genuine, genuine anger at present injustice, even though that can be right, even though that we can rightly uh, be angry and, and saddened by present injustice, nevertheless, we ought not to let that present injustice from, uh, we ought not to let that present injustice keep us from listening to those who quietly 
and gently continue to express their hurt and grievance over past injustice which has been done to them. We can't let what is going on on the other side of the world or even protests here in our own country, we can't let those things stop us from listening to legitimate concerns that Indigenous people might have. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James says we also need to reject sin and immerse ourselves in God's word. Verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Yes, we absolutely need to listen to others. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But most of all, we need to listen to God. We need to listen to others through the lens of what God has said to us in the Bible. We need to listen biblically and prayerfully. And having listened, we need to act. We need to do something about it. And when we become adept at listening to God, and when we go through that painful process of listening to God and addressing the sin in our own lives and putting on righteousness and compassion and justice, when we go through that painful process of acknowledging our sin to God, humbling ourselves before him and seeking to do away with the sin of our lives, when we become uh, better at going through that process, we'll be more likely to listen to other people as well. We'll learn to listen to others from a position of humility. Humility with respect to them, yes, but more importantly, we'll listen to others with a humility towards God. That is, we'll listen to others and we'll be thinking in our own hearts and minds, Lord, Help me to know the truth. Help me to see the sin in my life which I'm blind to. Help me to see what is just here. Help me to see the sin that I must confess. Help me maybe to see the sin in the other person that I need to gently challenge. We need to learn to listen not just to others, but most of all to God. And if we listen to God, if we learn to listen to God... It will help us to listen more faithfully to others as well. Finally, we need to not only listen, we need to act, and we need to act with care and compassion. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In an age that values words and slogans and protests and social media shaming, what a helpful corrective these words from the Bible really are. To not be preoccupied with winning the argument, but to be preoccupied with showing care and compassion to those who are the weakest and the most vulnerable in our society. I suspect our witness for God will be far more glorifying to him if we stopped trying to wage a culture war with words and simply got on with the business of preaching the gospel and caring for those in need. True Christianity, James says, is compassionate Christianity, Christianity which cares for the most vulnerable, for the orphan and the widow and others who are vulnerable in our society. So those are five principles that James gives us that we need to adopt in addressing any issue, 
but they're five principles that I think we especially need to hold on to in addressing this particular issue. Now, normally we wouldn't do this, but because it's important on this topic for us to listen to what others are saying, I've got a short speech given by Stan Grant a number of years ago, which he gave for the Ethics Centre and that we're going to watch. If you're watching at home, you'll find the link in the description below. Uh, you might like to right click on that and open that in another tab so you don't uh, lose where you're up to. Uh, you'll also find in the description below a link to the second half of this sermon, which you can go on with once you've watched uh, Stan Grant's speech. But I would encourage you not, please, please do not skip over that speech and think, well, I don't need to listen. Because that is exactly the point. We do need to listen and to hear what is being said. Stan Grant is an Indigenous Australian. He has both Aboriginal and Irish heritage. He's a journalist for the somewhat improbable combination of The Guardian and Sky News. And he's now also an academic at Charles Sturt University. But before we watch his speech, I'm going to pray. Father, we're uh, so used to not listening uh, to whoever it is. We're so used to just waiting for our turn to speak. And so often what we hear makes us angry. And so we speak out of anger. But Lord, even if others speak out of anger, help us to listen carefully and humbly. Help us to weigh what is said against your word. Give us your spirit of truth to that end that we can discern truth from error. Lord, please help us to listen to Indigenous people who speak about their suffering. Help us to listen and not be angry at them for speaking. And help us to be wise in knowing how we can respond. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.